step in and he's going to step on everybody here except for the Jews. We are the chosen race. And Jesus is our king. He came in as they jumped up and down for joy. And some of the Pharisees turned and said, hold it. These people are crying out. Tell them to stop this. Stop this. You're not the Messiah. And his response is, you don't understand. If the people didn't cry out and shout, the very rocks himself would start to cry out. To declare the reality that God had come to bring peace to this world, not just to the Jewish state. God's love is manifested through Jesus, not simply to the Jewish people, but to all people, to all the races of this world. Nobody was excluded. And that's the cry of Palm Sunday that so few understood. It would be another week and a horrible Friday that we call Good Friday. And then an amazing Sunday when Jesus would rise from the dead declaring himself to be God and declaring that all people who would respond to God's love, God's gift provided, would receive life eternal. Life now, life this day, and then life forever without end. That's the declaration of of Palm Sunday, as we talk about it here. It, it, it was interesting as I, as I started reading through different things here. I began to ask myself, well, what did the apostles say when they respond to this issue of God's love provided for us? And the more I studied John and, and Paul and, and Peter and all these others, they all seem to come to the same conclusion. And that's that our struggle is that we don't believe that God loves us. For a variety of reasons, some of us are caught up in shame or guilt. Some of you may have had uh, uh, some extreme sins in your life. And you're going, I don't think God can forgive me for that. I don't think God wants anything to do with me. I think God holds me at hand's length and waits for that final day in which he will condemn me totally. And I will go to hell. In others of you, you have this extreme guilt that you walk around with. It's like this burden on your back and you just can't seem to get rid of it. And you say, I I, I don't believe that God really cares. I don't believe God can do anything about this. And perhaps the last one of you are like I was. I was kind of apathetic about the whole thing. I was like, who cares if God cares? What difference does it make? I'm not even sure God exists. And why should I care if he loves me or if he doesn't? But deep inside me, there was this soul yearning thing that was stirring up and stirring up. And I would push it down and and deny it. Say, no, no, no. And it kept stirring up and stirring up and stirring up. Because within me, I recognized that my deepest desire was that God not only existed, but that he loved me and that he had a plan. And a purpose for my life. But my deepest fear. Was that. Not only did he not love me. He didn't even exist. And this was all there was. So get on with it. Just get on with it. Many people I run into today. Have that same sense of. Depression. For lack of a better word. The sense that. God. Couldn't love me. God 
doesn't love me. And that's why I think Paul gives us this special verse in Ephesians. Uh, why don't you throw this verse up? It's in Ephesians. And he says these things because I think Paul had the same struggle going on in his life before he came to understand who Jesus was and what God had done for him. And he says this, and you can read it with me. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. I pray that Christ will be, and all of you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. You see, we struggle to believe that God loves us, much less to begin to comprehend what exactly that means, the demonstration of that love. He says, if you can begin to understand that, everything begins to change because the lack of peace and joy and and faith in our life doesn't come from not having that joy, peace, or faith. It comes from not being able to receive it. It's the result of not knowing, not believing, not understanding how much God loves you. And we find ourselves with this unnecessary worry, this unwanted shame, this inexplicable fear, this undeniable guilt, even unreasonable insecurity in our lives because we're not sure that God truly, truly loves me. And Paul says, oh, that you might know how long and wide and deep and high God's love is. It's wide enough to include everybody. It doesn't matter what race you are, whether you're a male or a female, whether you're a child or a senior adult. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done. God's love is so wide that it includes everything and everybody. He knows who you really are in the inside. He knows who he made you to be. And he wants you to discover that wonderful, marvelous, incredible person. His love is long enough to last forever. See, the problem with human love is that we're always in that period of time in which we're going to die. And it seems like it ends at that, at that point. How, how many of you saw the show, The Notebook? Those of you that haven't, don't. Okay. Uh, your wife will say, oh, no, honey, you need to watch it with me. Oh, you're going you're gonna to love it. Hey, the end of the show is this marvelous scene in which this couple who, he, they've loved each other their entire life, and she's fallen into Alzheimer's. And he's still trying desperately to continue to help her understand how much he loves her and who he is every day, continuing to come back. And, and the final shot is she wakes up out of the haze on her deathbed, you know. And he gets into bed with her, and together they know who they are. And together they die hand in hand and go into heaven. Now, what a marvelous scene. I love the scene. I like the idea. You know, I being with my wife, and I go, wow, what a cool thing. After 60 years of marriage, we get to hold hands and go together into heaven. It's a picture of love that rarely exists and seems like a fantasy. Because it was. It was just a movie. Just a movie. It's not real. I tell, tell my wife, honey, that's not going to happen. I'm going to die first. <laughs> So we have this interesting baby, but God says his love is so long, it never, ever 
ends, no matter what. It's high enough to be anywhere instantly. See, he sees it. He's in a dimension beyond ours. He sees it, and instantly he responds to whatever the situation is, from heaven to earth. He sees all. He responds to all. You can never go anywhere that God doesn't go with you. You can never be separated from his love once you've accepted it. It's deep enough to meet all your needs. When you're in deep despair, God's love is deeper. Some of you are in the pits. You're in the financial pits. You're like, oh, Lord, I don't know how. And he says, I do. Let me provide for you. And I could bring up 50% of you here. You could say, man, I thought there was no way. And suddenly everything came together and God took care of my finance. How many of you that's happened to you where God's taking you to the pits of your finances? Seals, hands. It's, it's just like, whoa. God is not defeated by financial questions. The emotional pits. When we're in this just dreary, depressive state and we're like, I don't even want to get out of bed. God is right there with you and his love is so deep and he says, come on, Lee. Time to get up. I'm like, I don't want to get up. I just want to lay here, moan. God says, Lee, get up. And finally uses my wife to make me get up. Okay. <laughs> Emotional pits. Been there, done that. God has pulled me out of those pits of such extreme emotion that all you want to do is drink and take drugs and run away. God says, hey, let me pull you out of that. Let me give you joy and peace so strongly that you'll find your cheeks are hurting from smiling so much all day long. Physical pits. Ah, You can have cancer. You can have all these different things. You have people here, person after person would say, God brought me out of cancer. God did this for me in the midst of that. In fact, it was in the midst of those most difficult, horrible times that I met with a God and discovered that this wasn't the most horrible thing that ever happened to me. It wasn't even close. In fact, in many ways, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because in the midst of that cry, I met God's love. And that's what Paul means by that you might have the power to understand how deep, and how wide, how long, how high God's love is. So today is Palm Sunday, and I want to share some ways in which God has demonstrated to us his love for us. And I know the first way that I know God loves me is he created me, he made me. He created me or he made me. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and he's loving towards all he has made. He's referring to us. The foundation of all God's work is his love for us. He loves all his children and he acts that way. He's like a father to his children. That's why I love that song, the good, good father. He's a good father. And he acts like this to He's tender, he's compassionate to all those who fear him, who recognize how weak we are. That's the one I love. He recognizes how weak I am. I know God loves me. He knows that not only am I not perfect, I am weak. And sometimes I'm amazed at how weak I am. God's not amazed. He doesn't take his love away from me at that point in time. How many of you, before your kids were born, thought, my kids are going to be perfect? Mark thinks that way. Todd thinks this way right now. Todd does, don't you? My kids can be perfect. It's a little bit like, he not only will be good looking... He'll be smarter than everybody else and he will never, ever fall into sin. Okay, that'll last about three days. And you'll begin to change your mind slowly. 
But in the midst of that change of your mind, and the baby burps all over you and dumps his pants at the last possible second, and you're going, what have I done? And then you lay in there at night and watching them sleeping and thinking, what have I done? And you have this marvelous sense of, wow, God is so amazing. I love this little child. And then they get older, and they borrow our cars, and they wreck them. And they want all of our money, and we give it to them. And we see them do these crazy, stupid things. And you know what we do? We punch them out. No, we don't. No, we don't. We throw them off a cliff. We drown them. No, that's what we want to do. What we do is we keep on loving them. Have you seen the mother of a serial killer? You know what she says? My son would never do that. I love my son. What? Are you an idiot? No, she's a mom. She's a mom. You see, we're crazy once we become parents. We're crazy. We love our kids no matter what they do. So why do you think God doesn't love you that much? Why would you think that God suddenly goes, you know, Glenn, you're doing all right, but dude, been a bad week. I think it's time for you to go home. You know, I, I, I don't love you anymore. You're going to have to step up. Even when we say it, we recognize how foolish that idea is, but that's what we think. Oh, God, I did it again. You couldn't possibly love me. You couldn't possibly care about me. Like John's statement, he says, Friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is born of God, knows God. People who don't love don't know God. God is love, and you were made to be loved by God. God, he created you. He loves you as a father loves you. You need to say these simple words. Father God, I accept your love. Everybody say it. Father God, I accept your love. And when you begin to do that, it's like something begins to happen. We get a little stirring. Do you know God also loves you? He notices every detail of your life. I always say, God has your picture on his refrigerator. You know, the first drawing. Oh, did you see this when my son did this? You see this when my daughter did this? He's always telling the angels, hey, hey, take a look at Lee. Look at this. Look what he did. And the angels are going, oh, not again. Come on, God. He's such a loser. God says, oh, no, 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 no. Look. Look. Isn't this amazing what he's done with the life I gave him? God knows every hair's on your head. And what we mean by that is he's aware of everything that takes place in your life, every detail. He looks at your report card and he points out all the A's and he just kind of was, well, you had a couple D's, but that's okay. In relationship, the report card of life, that's what God does. He loves us when you're happy or sad, when you succeed 
And when you don't, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, God knows about it because he loves you and he's intensely interested in his kids. He just loves us. Psalm 139 says, he knows what I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. Now, my wife is getting close to that. My wife loves me. I have a wonderful wife. She loves me in spite of my mistakes and my inadequacies. And boy, she, she'll finish sentences all the time for me. <laughs> yeah, and you, and I go, oh, you know, I look at Charlie and Jeannie. He loves her so much. It's just such a great thing to watch people who have discovered the love of God in their lives and have chosen to love one another. Huh. God cares about us. If you're having a tough time, He cares about it. He wants to sit there with you and listen to you. And you can talk and talk and talk, and He'll never stop listening. He'll nod His head and say, Yep, I totally get it. That was awful. I'm so sorry that took place in your life. And you need to simply receive His love. You need to thank God. Thank you, God, for noticing. Thank you, God, for noticing. For being aware and being involved. He knows every detail of my life. That's how I know he loves me. He also gave me the capacity for joy. This is the part that I truly enjoy. God gives us these special eyes. So when he made you, he filled the world with color. I mean, why is all this color here? So you could experience joy. So you could experience this incredible joy in the sense of, wow, this pleasure that's so pleasing. You can even look at other things. You ever been to Minnesota in February? It's like a black and white picture. It's awful. It's ugly. That's the only word for it. It's just ugly. They take these special photographies of ice things. and Doesn't that look cool? I said, no, it's ugly. It's cold. God's love shines through in the midst of that. And then I come down and I sit by the beach and I watch the sunrise and I go, God, you're really good at this. I go down to the desert. I was in Arizona here. The desert and the, the sunrise comes up and it's like, whoa. And then the sunset, we're like purple colors. and all. It's like, wow. Thank you, God, for eyes that see, even after surgery. Yeah. Goes cataract surgery. Now I can really see. You just can't see reading. Okay. That's why I got to wear these things. Wonderful. Incredible pleasure. Someone has said that beauty is skin deep, but ugly is to the bone. I went, really? Really? Let me tell you what that is. It means you're not allowing God's love to shine through your life. One of the most, one of the plainest gal in, in the school, I still remember so powerfully. She was so plain at, at our school at, in, in college, and she was the most beautiful girl on campus. It's like I was, I'd look at her and go, why are you so beautiful, What's this shining and this joy and this, you know, everybody wanted to be around her. She was a very plain face. It wasn't symmetrical. It wasn't set all the way that we're supposed to be set according to the directives, you know. Well, it it was God's love flowing through her life. It made her far more beautiful than anybody else who had all the right shapes and all the right colors. Because God's love makes us beautiful and allows us to see beauty in reality. He even gave us ears to hear these wonderful sounds. Wasn't it great hearing these sounds of these people singing? You you, you get get Pete and Robin up here and they have these marvelous voices. 
you know, rub on him. He says, Pastor Lee, I want you to sing with me again Good Friday. I said, it's not happening. I sang before. I want to enjoy the music, the sound. My ears just like, wow, this is so wonderful to sit and listen. I get to sing along and nobody can hear me. <laughs> it's good, good, good stuff. God created taste. He filled the world with flavor like salsa. I had barbecued ribs last night. Oh, they were so good. Homemade ice cream. I always got to do this just before lunch. Throw it at you there, you know. Chocolate. Whoa. Why did God do that? He could have made us all run on fuel. Can you imagine that? What do you run on? Oh, I've got ethanol, you know, little ethanol. It's all we do. We just drink ethanol. It makes everything work. Ick. Gag me. Really, Lord? He wants you to enjoy life. He could have even said, you guys all need to be on oatmeal. That's the only food you have. Oatmeal. As we get older, some of us have to eat oatmeal. And we go, thank you, God, for barbecued ribs. God gives us everything for our enjoyment. And yet, we misunderstand exactly what that means. Uh, Satan has told us a lie, and that's that it's, to be good means to be miserable. I'll give you the example. The most miserable place on earth, it's a singles bar. Been there. Singles bar. And everybody's sitting around, and they're trying to buy people things. Where else would you go where people are going to buy you things? Imagine you walk into Costco. Hey, would you like me to get you a toaster? You're over at the clothes store. Hey, got to get you a shirt or maybe a pair of pants. You look at them like, what is wrong with you, dude? But in a singles bar, can I get you a drink? Sure. Anything to make me feel a little more comfortable because I am really dying here. And yet, we're having a great time. Let's go party. I always tell people, what party did you go to? I went to that party, and the only reason it was any fun is because I got so drunk that I didn't know what was going on. Other than that, it was truly beyond boring, disgusting, sad, depressing. And yet, you say, you don't want to go to church. It's boring. It's, it's down. It's, I don't know about you guys. I, I, when I come to worship God, everything changes. And yet, I still struggle periodically going. What happened? What happened is that God's desiring to give us something marvelous and wonderful and good and powerful. But the God of this world is trying to pull you away from that, to pull you away from all that he has you. Jesus said, I have told you these things so you'll be filled with joy, that your joy will overflow. When he was born, the angel said, I bring you good news of great, what? Joy. God desires for us to have joy. He gave us this capacity for joy, and he made us for this marvelous, incredible purpose. God's plan for our life, when we begin to understand it, then life begins to make sense. Jesus speaks more about happiness than he did about heaven. He loves me, so he gives me this capacity for pleasure. And we need to receive his joy. So I want you to say right now, Lord, I receive your joy. Say that. Lord, I receive your joy. Let his joy flow into your life. Over, be overwhelmed by it. Be like Danielle, my daughter. She's just always joyful. No matter what I gave her, if I gave her a load of horse poop, she would say, where's the pony? (laughs) Go 
So there you go. There it is. Guess what? She got the pony then. There comes the pony. Because people that receive the joy of God, we want to be around and we want to encourage and we want to be part of. You know, fourthly, I know that God loves me because he has good plans for my life. God always wants the best for your life. He says, I have good plans for you. Plans not to hurt you, but to give you hope and a future. He has a great plan for your life. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has a great plan for your life. Yeah. God has a great plan for your life. Our problem is that we think we'll be happy doing our plan, and God's saying, you won't. Do my plan. You will be overwhelmed with joy. As opposed to falling into resentment and bitterness and depression and discouragement. A thousand years ago, God knew you'd be sitting here in church on Palm Sunday. He said, I want you to know my plan for your life because I made you. You matter to me. You weren't created by accident. I have a marvelous plan, a life that is full and complete. And you need to experience this. Let's watch this special clip that talks about that because it's such a fun one. I've been wrestling with purpose. Then an angel was enough to send a prophet. He said, I'm going to come myself. And I'm going to demonstrate my love in the most powerful way possible. I'm going to provide them with a way to have a relationship with me that they could never have before. Even our calendar is divided by this wonderful statement of God coming to this earth. He was born some 2012 years ago. 2017 now. And he died specifically so that we could experience life. God's love is proven to us. And yet while we were yet sinners, rejectors of God, he died for us. We rejected him. We exchanged him for a false idea of who he was. I started earlier and I said, I think the number one reason people struggle with God's love is guilt or shame, or apathy. And some of you thought, I can't have a relationship with God because I know that I'm guilty. God knows I'm guilty, and God could never forgive me for all the things I've done. He knows exactly what I did. But the psalmist puts it this way. He says, his unfailing love towards those who respect him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. See, the writer is saying not only does God forgive us, he forgets. And he's the only one who can truly forget. I sat in trial here. This, uh, I was at the trial of a jury here for the last week, day after day after day, and interacting with different people. I met a young lady from Columbia, and she talked about the fact that she had come over here and she had been molested by her father before she came and the and the jury situation was about a molestation case and so everybody's all this was being stirred up as they talked about this issue of child molestation and one by one we were brought to the forefront are you going to be the jury are you going to be the jury? Are you going to, you know, and we went through 120 people before they could find 12 people that seemed to have the ability to be somewhat objective. 
because person after person had been affected. And as I shared with her, the Lord just does these things to me. So I'm talking with her about this. It all came up. And I said, well, have you forgiven him for what he's done? She said, I will never forgive him. And I said, you realize that as long as you stay there, you're trapped by him. God wants you to forgive him so that you can experience the wonder of God's love in you as you share with others. And she kind of cried a bit. She said, I'm going to try. Hard things we have because we fail to forgive others. We find ourselves going, how could God forgive me? Because God is not you. God sent his son to die so that he could forgive you. So he could cleanse you from all your sin and truly see you as righteous. Sin gone. No more. No more. It's gone. And I see you as my son and my daughter whom I love and I've set a plan for and whom I want to care for. And I'll bring up our band here as we kind of close this up. There's a great scripture here that's at the bottom of this outline. It says, with deep love I will take you back. Deep love is love that goes beyond the surface. It's love that says, no matter what you've done, not only will I cleanse you, but I will renew you. Jesus said a different way. He says, I will help you to become born again. And that cleansing process will go on and on and on in your life until you experience this wonderful, magnificent, glorious love that God pours into our life. It has nothing to do with who we are or what we've done. It has everything to do with the fact that you are God's son and God's daughter as you respond to him. You're not here by accident this morning. God wanted to talk to you and he wanted to let you know, hey, I love you intensely, personally, powerfully, and I want you to receive that love in your life. You see, the number one reason I know that God loves me is because, and even though it was some 40 years ago for me, he gave me the choice to respond to him. He didn't force me to love him. He didn't force me even to accept the payment that he had made by his son dying on the cross for me. He said, Lee, I want so much for you to understand what I've done, but I've done everything I can, and now it's your choice. It's your chance. And you've got to determine something, Lee. You've got to admit the simple fact that you're a sinner and that sin has destroyed your life and it's taken you down. Because until you admit that, I can't cleanse you from it. Until you recognize it, I can't get rid of it. And that day came and I said, Lord, I admit it. Boy, do I admit it. My life's a wreck. Would you forgive me? And he not only forgave me, he cleansed me. You see, that's what that confession for Jesus was all about on the cross that he died for me. He says, I'm dying for you so my blood might come over your life and cleanse you completely. If you recognize me as Savior, that I died so you could live, then I'm going to give you that gift. And that happened to me, and it can happen to you. We simply cry out to God and say, God, I received your gift of forgiveness. I received the gift that your son gave me on the cross. And this day I make you my Savior, Messiah. And I declare you as Lord. Now show me the plan. 
and enable me not only to know your love, but to walk in the way that you made me to walk. So let's listen to the song. Think about what he's saying to us. They're going to come back up. And we're going to have a little Palm Sunday finale here, all right? So let's listen to the song. Let God speak to you. Write some stuff down on your prayer request, whatever it is. And then we'll move to the next step.